Things are getting serious now, ladies and gentlemen. We're into the second half of Melbourne's hard lockdown. The jasmine is about to flower and finals are almost, almost upon us. That means eight-point clashes and ladder shapers, hot tickets, items that we can't actually attend, and even hotter takes from the mainstream media. And with me to take down said takes and probably provide a few of his own is the punter's prophet himself, Big Bustling Baz. How you doing, mate? How you hanging on there in uh, Elstonwick? Not too bad. It's, we're halfway through. Footy Frenzy's about to start again, which is good because uh, I don't know about you, but I've found a few of these nights where there's no sport on. Pretty boring. But, uh, you know, there's been a few TV shows about to catch up on, like Last Chance You and Hard Knocks, so that's pretty good. But, uh, yeah, just, just kick it on through, mate. Getting through. TV shows there, which is a good segue to our first segment, What Just Happened, the big wins and bad beats of round 13. And I broke my 2020 rule this year, Baz. I watched it on the couch. Well, to be fair, I reckon that's probably the only football show other than The Bounce. The Bounce I watched because I know it's a bit silly and a bit you know, stupid, but it's, I, I find it a lighthearted, like funny stuff. Um, but I do watch The Couch regularly, um, every week, in fact. And... I don't necessarily agree. I actually, I actually don't mind uh, the first crack as well on a Sunday night with or after the last game with King and Joe Montagna and uh, Tom Morris because um, it just gives me an idea of what how people in the med- some of the people in the media have uh, their own opinions, but and they tend to yeah um, not agree with me or you know but that's that's how it is and but you sometimes get sucked into their uh, narrative so. Um, as I tend to look at what's been happening all through the last, you know, 13, 14 weeks. Yes. So I so I hate watched on the couch this week and they talked about the Brisbane game, which is a game I want to talk about because it involves one of the two teams that we think is in the top three coming into the finals. So that's Brisbane, 6-14, 50, defeated St Kilda, 7-6-48. And their narrative was that St Kilda should have won this game because they had a couple of shots late in the game that could have taken them over the edge. They also went on to say yep. that... Brisbane's number one issue this year is accuracy. They listed a bunch of games. So they listed around 11 against the Bulldogs, oh, which they won 14-12. Around uh, 12 against North Melbourne, which they won kicking 7-11. And again, against St Kilda, they kicked 6-14. And so apparently this is their, their woe, woe, woe. They're winning the game still. They're winning the games, Baz. They're winning the games. But apparently yep. them kicking the way they kick is, is bad and wrong. It's going to cost them a funnel, just like it did in the prelim against Richmond in 2019. So I went back yep. and watched that prelim in 2019 to see if there's any similarities between this St Kilda game and the, uh, the prelim. And, Baz, there's none. There was no similarities. So if you look at the expected scores of that prelim, even if Brisbane had a kicked accurately to their season average or the league average for 2019 or even above average, they don't win that game. Richmond forced them into bad shots because Richmond was good in 2019, forcing them out wide, forcing them to take kicks from well back, forcing them to kick under pressure. If you look at that first first half where they kicked four goals, 10, and actually break it down, what happened in that first half is they had two rush behinds, so now they're four goals, eight. They had kicks under physical pressure for two behinds, so now they're four goals, six. They had kicks from the boundary or from 40 metres plus. They kicked two goals, four. And then from the hot spot, they kicked two goals, two. So they basically kicked what they were meant to kick and they got the result they were meant to get because guess what? Richmond won the flag last year because Richmond was the best team in the competition. This has nothing to do with the St Kilda game. The St Kilda game is they were doing exactly what they do. And then they go and compare them to West Coast, who apparently are looking beautiful. They play pure football. They play all in the air. They play everything that's meant to be happening. So then why aren't they on top of the ladder like like a Brisbane or Port Adelaide or a Geelong? So let's break it down. West Coast don't take that many shots. It's pretty easy to kick accurately if you only kick the goals you know you're going to kick. Brisbane's whole game plan is to create shots at goal and take them. Chris Fagan does not care at all if they kick 6-14. He cares if they win games. That's why Brisbane's in the top two for scores created. That's why Brisbane's in the top two for shots at goal. That's why Brisbane's in the top two for points created. That's the game plan. Why doesn't anyone understand that that's Brisbane's game plan and kicking 6-14 isn't a problem, it's a game style thing? Because they want to, they, they want to shoot down the teams at the top. Like they do it to every team every year, and 
like I've been saying this for, for weeks, the, the fact that they keep underrating Port and Brisbane, and they picked apart their game style and stuff as well on, on the night. And I keep thinking, well, yeah, you can pick apart their game style, but again, they're, they're number one and two in the comp, and they're winning games. So, And yeah, they have some small deficiencies, but what teams don't at this time of year, and I'd rather have Brisbane's and Port's deficiencies than someone like West Coast. Because you, you mentioned West Coast uh, actually go off in the number one in the comp, but they do take less shots. And they, their actual predicted score and the, the, the shots they're taking the, and the goals they're kicking from uh, from actually difficult spots. So um, there was a stat on the weekend. I didn't take note of it, but they're actually kicking at a higher rate than any other team in the comp, but they're taking more difficult shot, shots according to champion data. So they're actually, you know, you know probably, I mean, they're executing, so good on them, but... In a way, they could be fluking a lot of goals from these spots just because they're having a, a good run at it. And they know that and the reason why they're doing this and they've had a good run is because guess where they've been playing? Perth Stadium. Mm. Where, you know, they know the ground back to front. They train there. They do everything there. They're back there. They went 6-0, and zero, I think it was, since they've been back in, in Perth. Now they're going back on a hub again. So... And we already know about what happened with their their accommodation and all that sort of stuff, and the fact that they're, they're lobbying to the AFL that they come home um, for the last round and play North Melbourne at home, even though North Melbourne are meant to play them somewhere else. And they're also lobbying to get the first final played at home, whether they deserve it or not. So the fact that they're already lobbying for all this stuff and that they they try to get the doggies kicked out of um, their you know their accommodation because they're higher on the ladder and all that sort of thing. You know, we saw earlier in this hub that Richmond were doing stuff very similar, weren't playing great footy. They've moved on and, you know, started to play good footy because they've probably concentrated a bit more on footy instead of everything else. And now you've got West Coast going back in the hub after being home for six weeks. Already, talk, They're already mentioning it and talking about it in the media as well, like McGovern did yesterday. And and you hear um, Hearn yell out, see you in six weeks as they get on the plane. You know that there's there's... I'm a bit concerned about them going into this hub, but they don't talk about that. They don't talk about their their, their language in the media. A bit like Melbourne as well. Just keep going up to Brisbane and Port, which is fine for me because that's good. I get better odds. So, um, But I think if Brisbane and Port's only problem is their accuracy um, and the fact they get scored against a bit easy, that's because they play a high press and they get out the back. But they can fix that pretty simply, I reckon. And I think we saw with um, Ken Hinckley and Fagan after the games, um, you know, yell at players and tell players off after they won, which tells me that they've still got problems to fix. And, with you know, to be a game clear in the top two with four or five weeks to go, um, and they've got a, both teams got a pretty nice run home, geez, I'd rather with the two teams I'd rather be. 100%. So go to back to your point there about West Coast kicking and kicking over their expected score. So, yes, they're kicking 5% better than their expected score based on the difficulty of their shots. Brisbane's kicking 11% under. So yep. most of the time, the longer you go in a season, the further you regress to the mean to where you're meant to be. So the expected score and the actual scores start to marry up, which means Brisbane has 11% improvement to make and West Coast has 5% deduction to make. Again, yep. which team would you rather be? Obviously, Brisbane. And then to double down on your point about Port Adelaide getting scored over the back, that was, again, just to – I'm piling on, on the couch this week. I'm, I'm venting. It's been a tough month, you know, so we're just getting some out of my system. But if you only have one thing wrong – and that's because you get scored over the back, then uh, is that, again, just a game-style thing? They're a front-half team, as you said. So they pull out a narrative they want. Oh, they've been scored heavily against. Or at the back, over the back, Joe the Goose style against Richmond, Geelong, and Hawthorne. Oh, well, against Richmond, they won. So they got 34 points scored against them that way, the way that Richmond scores points. And Richmond only scored 60-odd points for the game. And then against Hawthorne, same thing. But they still won that game. Two teams that like to play that style of football. They got smashed by Geelong. That happens. Geelong's in our top three anyway. If they are so deficient at scores against, then why are they ranked third for points against in the AFL? And why is their point difference second only behind Geelong? Because there yeah. is no problem. Unfortunately yeah, for, these, for these football shows that like to fill content and push down the odds, there is no problem with Port. Sure, they look ugly sometimes. All teams do. There's no problem. Take them to the bank. And when I say bank, let's have a little check at the market. 
So on top yeah. still is West Coast, who are going to the hub. Next is Richmond, who just sacked half their club the other day, by the way. So not all rosy in Richmond land either. And I'm a Richmond fan, and that bloody pisses me off because it makes zero sense. You're a big club who won two flags in three years, and you sack half your staff. Doesn't make any sense. And then you've got, got rid of AFL, the VFLW side. Exactly. And then you've got Geelong, Brisbane, and Port Adelaide, our three top teams paying six, seven, and eight dollars fifty. People that listen to this podcast, I think, are pretty smart. If they're not pretty smart, they're at least they can read the odds. Six, seven, and eight fifty is much better value with much more wiggle room in a cash out market that isn't all bookies versus five dollars and five dollars fifty against sides that have been found out. And that was the early narrative in the season. And now it's much easier to be like, oh, let's just go back to what we know. West Coast and Richmond are good. It's funny because like they, they, they want to pick on these teams and they, they don't go – they haven't really had one on GWS, GWS yet. They didn't really go hard at them. They didn't really go hard at Collingwood. Um, they always talk about Melbourne. But I think the biggest story of the week was Melbourne and they've completely missed it and not picked up on it because it's it, – I, mean, I listened to Jack Cherengrove last night on um, open, uh, open Mic and how he talked about Melbourne and, and his time there, especially when he was captain – you can see how how this is still transcending with their <laughs> the way the club is now. And again, I'll, I'll save it for later. But geez, they're a rabble. Anyway, um, yeah, definitely get on Geelong at the moment. They, they're still good value. So Port of Brisbane, and I reckon that's it. Don't worry about anyone else in the market. And the, yeah, if you go into the quant, do yourself a favour. And for every second you spend watching Fox Footy, spend another second reading some independent stats blogs. We mentioned a couple before, Richard Little's great on Twitter. Uh, the Shinburner is also very good. Stats, uh, stats Insider is pretty good. Matter of Stats, all those places. Go out and find your own truth because what you'll get given in certain mainstream media outlets is just narrative that suits them and that's not fair on you and our listeners deserve better and that's what we try and do. Speaking of... You tipped nine last week, Baz, so let's continue that form into our round 14 previews. <laughs> Only eight games this week, but seven of them have expected margins of under 10 points, which leaves plenty of room if you need to catch up in your tipping comp like I do to pick some of our outsiders and hope that they get the job done, or it gives you plenty of angle hunting where you might take the line or you might take the cash, or you might take it to lead at halftime and try and make some bank in the late stages of the season where you have heaps of form guides and heaps of trend lines to make responsible gambling decisions. So the first one we're going to talk about is a litmus test. Thursday, 7-10, Richmond are $1.80 favourites, West Coast are $2.00 outsiders. They're playing at Metricon Stadium on the Gold Coast, not the West Coast. Line here, two and a half, the over-under, 123. Everyone's saying this is the potential grand final preview. It's probably not because we just bashed them for the last 15 minutes. But uh, <laughs> what do you make of this game, Baz? Um, yeah, it's a really interesting one. Like, I, I don't know what West Coast we're going to get after, like I said, they've been playing a lot of politics behind the scenes to uh, to go back in, the, in this hub. They don't. They didn't really want to go into this hub. They didn't want to go the first time. You saw how they were the first time in the hub. So, and it's interesting that everyone's talking them up, yet they're still outsiders in this market. Richmond, coming back from Darwin. Now, we know how hot it was up there. They had a shorter break. Uh, sorry, West Coast had a shorter break. Richmond had an extra day. But we know how, we've seen recently how, you know, it's pretty hot up there. It's like 30 degrees, the humidity. Teams do actually struggle the second week um, coming back from, the Darwin game, and generally when Port and Melbourne used to play out there, I'm pretty sure it was Port and Melbourne, Port and Bulldogs, they, they, the ball was a week after, or they had the extra couple of days break for that reason. So I'm interested to see what happens. I, I don't know what the weather's going to be like, but if it's anything like it was in that last quarter against uh, GWS, and West Coast might be in strike, because once that rain came, and we saw it against Carlton when it was a bit wet, the uh, the ground ball and the couch, you know, did pick on, up on this as well, which is, you know, they do get some things right. Um, their ground ball is a massive, massive issue for West Coast, and it still is. And, you know, they, they went through their stats for the last three years, and they fixed it in the in the grand final, which is the only day they bloody fixed it, and it cost Collingwood a flag. But anyway, um, every other time they've been deficient in it. And we know that Richmond don't play a, a perfect long sort of like, – they try and, you know, surge the ball forward at all mentality, which could suit them in a way. But I'll tell you what, if they keep kicking it long down the line uh, to Lynch and Rewalt, like, and they have been doing this year, so we've spoken about it the last couple of weeks, where they've been an easy side to intercept mark against. Um, Jeremy Govins and having an absolute field day. So I'd, I'd hope that Harvey couldn't allow that. I know they're going to back uh, Rewalt and 
Lynch to bring the ball to ground. But if they do keep kicking it, then you know, we saw how good he was in Australia's. He was the difference. Um, and for me, I, I still think, you know, they're still very reliant on Nick Nack to, for their scoring. So scoring for clearances are really, really high. And it's Nick Nack, uh, oriented. Um, so they're, they're my issue for West Coast. But then Richmond, you know, they've been so easily scored against this year's. Uh, and we also see a West Coast four line. It's probably the most scary four line in the comp. That's probably why they're so accurate, why they're so damaging when they go inside Ford 50. I'm pretty sure they've got one of the lowest inside 50 counts in the league. Yet they score so often because of that you know that four line is so dynamic and and different, um, and like I said, Richmond have been a side that have leaked a lot and been one of the easiest sides to score against this year, and they've been one of the poorer clearance sides as well. So if West Coast rock up and it's a it's a nice nice weather, everything's going well, and they get that clearance game going and are able to you know supply inside fifties to their four line, I think that's where they'll have. Uh, Richmond covered, but my biggest concern is what West Coast are rock up in this hub. So I will put a little hate goggles warning on some of what you've just said there, because whilst true for the season trend, it doesn't quite back up in a more recent form. So you talked about Richmond being easy to score against. In the past four rounds, Richmond have conceded a scoring accuracy of 37, which is the lowest of any side in the competition. So defensively, they give you the hardest looks to try and score against. So that will try and force our hand here on, on West Coast. You've also played Gold Coast and, and S in the last two weeks. Yes, plus Port Adelaide and Brisbane. So they've played the top yeah, two yeah, contenders yeah, and forced them to have that kicks as well. I guarantee you that, that those stats would be skewed by the Gold Coast Essendon game, especially when Essendon had like what twenty five inside fifties. Had a lot of inside fifties as well. Um, they they smashed you by plus twenty five. I think it was Gold Coast were good with you for three quarters, and you know it wasn't until quarter three quarter time they ran out of legs. I think, but I know we, we talk a lot about stats and stats back us up a bit, and we like to, to do that. But I, I still think that. You, you've gone a bit of the couch there, mate. You've gone a bit the last four weeks instead of the season narrative, and you've you've kind of become a bit of a hypocrite. I don't think I have because whilst <laughs> I'm saying for, to predict this game, and as you know, as one of the best horse punters going around, do you take a whole horse's lifespan or do you take the recent form from the from the most recent spell? I'm taking I'm taking the last the, what there's what their current form is. Correct. So and their current West form would be the last four weeks. Since the football frenzy, which is why I took that sample size. But anyway, stats argument out of the way because we don't want to get too inside baseball. We've got a nine-day break in that as well. Correct. Correct. So who are you going for here then? Are you going for the Eagles or are you going for the Tigers? Um, I'm going to back in the Eagles here just for the fact that they're going to have the ball in their forward 50 enough to score and I don't think you guys will be able to score enough. And I, I, the, the the biggest worry for mine with with Richmond has been their clearances, and that's one thing where Nick Nat and West Coast have been dominating. And I just don't think your midfield's in a match up against West Coast midfield if they they get it their way. Because I just think that Nick Nat's gonna be too good for Soldo, and if and Charles probably the only one that has that bit of X factor because we saw I think I brought this up about four or five times now, but. De Koning, when he played against Nick Nat, was running and jumping all over him. And Nick Nat didn't like it. Didn't He wanted the body contact. He didn't want to have to um, worry about getting jumped into. And I think if Chol does that, then that's a chance that Richard might be able to half it a bit. But I still think that Nick Nat is just too good. And they've got too many rotations. And I think they're just going too well for, for Richard at the moment. But who knows? They might go back to old West Coast hub life and just turn up an absolute stinker. But for me, at two bucks, I'm not having any money on this game, but I'm going to tip West Coast. Yeah. I'm going with Richmond here. Richmond are ranked second from clearances defensively this year. So they're not going to get scored heavily from the clearance. They get scored heavily against in, uh, in other ways. And thirdly, I'm backing Demarin here to say, enough with the long and high down the line to our tools. Let's play Richmond football. And Richmond football is in short, in hard and fast, dirty football forward. Let's keep it on the ground and do everything that West Coast hate. This is played on the Gold Coast. In Queensland, Richmond have won their last five in Queensland. West Coast hate it in Queensland. They hate it when it's dewy. They hate it when it's humid. They hate it when it's even a little bit wet or hard or tough. So Richmond for mine. But again, I agree with you. This is definitely not a money game. Did you, just, did you hear Jonathan Brown talk about um, the, the the wind that comes through at uh, in the in Brisbane now this time of year? With you know that means there won't be as much dew or um, humidity in the night games. So that's going to change in seven days, is it? 
Yeah, I, I that's what they were talking about on our show, The Couch, mate. Yeah, I know. That, that show I just panned for 15 minutes. Last time actually, I checked, old Jono Brown wasn't a meteorologist, so and even they I, get it wrong. I actually don't mind it, but anyway. Fair enough. Our second litmus test game, more teams that we love to bag, 7.40 on Saturday. Melbourne are $2.10 outsiders. How are they outsiders? They're meant to be premiership favourites. St Kilda are $1.72 favourites. They're playing at TIO Traeger Park in Darwin. The line here is four and a half. There's no over-unders yet because everyone's playing catch-up. And so, you know, if we listen to mainstream media, Baz, why are Melbourne outsiders here? Surely St Kilda, who couldn't even claim that win against Brisbane that was handed to them on a platter, uh, should be the outsiders and Melbourne the rightful favourites. So before the game against the Doggies, Simon Goodwood came out and said that they're the number one defensive team through the corridor, which they're not, right? So that, that means that he believes that himself and he's telling the boys that. That's that sort of thing. And then after the game, he said, we got so much right, we are so good for so long, and then you just got absolutely flogged. Though. And it was plain to see that no one wanted to do any two-way running. The... The old Melbourne came back. It was like, you know, honey to a beast to honey. You know, that little, they, they get so many players around the ball and then they get exposed on the outside because they don't win it and then they're done and they over handball and overuse it. They fall in the sinkhole <laughs> is the old footy term for it. Yep. And then last night, you know, we heard um, Max Gorn talk about how they're not that far away. They're pretty close to the good times. Um, and Nathan Jones is one of those players that they want to make sure that he's still around for those good times that are very, very close. We're just about there. So I don't know if he knew, but if he knows where they finished last year and where they currently are in the ladder and how they've been performing. But I don't, I don't know. Have you, do you see anything that means they're going to have the good times, like a flag or anything soon? Because oh, I don't. Nothing that isn't just media hype. But then in, in the next next sentence, he talks about how they're not there yet. And um, they're below the top top the top tier teams. So you got Goodwin, you know, selling one message saying that the best team defensively through the corridor, and then you saw the doggies how they scored and how they just tore them apart, and how they're not that far away. You got Gorn saying they're not that far away, and the good times are just about there. And then he's saying how they're not there yet. So all this mixed, you know, messaging and. Even that video that they did after the um, North Melbourne game just before they played Collingwood. And you can see why that they're not very uh, a strong mentally club. And they're, just, they're not honest with themselves. If they, if they believe they're not that far away or they've got the coach telling them they're pretty close and things are going right, that, that's that's where they're going wrong. They're, their own messaging internally must be all up shit creek. And that's probably why you don't hear Buckley or you don't hear a Harwick, you don't hear a Clarkson or anything like that come out and say, and even the captains from those clubs, even if other players from the clubs come out and speak, they don't hear the mixed messages from them. So if the players and the coaches give you mixed messages, what does that tell you about the club internally? So that's, that's, that's my biggest issue with Melbourne. They need to come out and say, we're not there. We're not there. We're still, we're still learning. You hear, you hear, they're just not, (laughs) they're nowhere near the club. They think they are. Mm. And even Trengrove last night, Mike was, you know, discussing how, you know, Neil, he didn't, he didn't actually blame Neil, but you can tell in his tone the way he spoke about things that there was problems when Neil took over as coach and there was other issues, external issues with obviously Jim Steins and all that sort of stuff passing away. But you can tell it's been an issue for a long time and they've still got problems with it. So um, even, you know, even though they had the great Paul Ruse there. So anyway, that's, that's where I think they're going wrong. And I think St Kilda are going to, they did it last year. I'm pretty, Pretty sure it was last year with St Kilda absolutely flogged Melbourne early in the year at the MCG. And I have a feeling that even though it's at uh, TI Oval it's, and it's a night game where it's going to be a bit dewy and a bit, uh, as we've seen the last two last week with the um, the games up, up up there in the far north, um, I think St Kilda is going to be too slick and too good. Yep, very much agree with basically everything you've just said then. And even their four minds, look at the teams that Melbourne have beaten to come back into premiership contention. They beat Adelaide, North Melbourne, Collingwood. Big whoop. They got absolutely pounded by the dogs. St Kilda, however, they went toe-to-toe with Geelong for a little bit and then petered out, but so be it. Then they did what they needed to do against Essendon and they almost pinched one against the Lions. So St Kilda is so far ahead here. Yes, they're obviously favourites. They should be well more backed than what they are currently and the obvious tip here is St Kilda. And even at the odds they're offering, you don't even need to take the line. Just take them head-to-head. That's value there. Yeah, they're into a dollar seventy-five now, but 
even you know, St Kilda set up pretty well defensively, and we we know how poor um, Melbourne are going inside their forward fifty as well. And they don't really have you know, Williams coming along a lot, and Jackson's been out. I think Max Gorn's back, which is a massive in. But I think that um, St Kilda will not allow them to score because if they're that poor going inside their forward fifty as they have been all year, um, they're just going to get rebounded against, like the doggies did. The doggies are able just to get the ball back across half back and de- even deep inside that defensive fifty. And just transition it out with absolute ease. And if that happens, and St Kilda are a lot better than the doggies at transitioning, um, then yeah, they're in a bit of strife. 100%. So to even increase your uh, value on this one, I found a nice little same game multi for you. So St Kilda to win. St Kilda to win the first quarter. Why? St Kilda are ranked third in first quarters this year. Melbourne are ranked 14th. That's overall for the season. However, in losses, Melbourne are yet to win a first quarter. So when they don't show up, they lose. And we've just said they spent all weekend drinking their bathwater, all week doing the press, pumping up their tyres even though they're nowhere near it. That is criminal, criminal for a non-showing first quarter. So take that and then roll in Dan Butler to kick a goal because he's been doing it all year. So that gives you about $3.60, which is great odds for what is basically a Monty, in my opinion. I reckon King, uh, King might have a good game as well because, you know, Geez, I reckon Melbourne would be kicking themselves. They didn't use that pick they got Stephen May with to get uh, King across the line when they traded out Jesse Hogan. But, you know, they, they should have... May's a great player, but I'll tell you what, if they had Max King at the moment Melbourne, they'd be licking their lips. All right, as you mentioned, we think the odds are wrong in some of the games this week. These are our upset alerts. Starts Thursday, 7.50, Hawthorne, $2.25 outsiders against Essendon, $1.65 favourites at the Adelaide Oval. The line here, four and a half, the over-under, one twenty-two. Now, Hawthorne took poor Adelaide all the way to the brink last week. Essendon was basically a no-show against the Tigers. How is Essendon favourites in this game? I've got no idea, and I couldn't believe I, – I, I looked at the odds, and I'm like, is this, like – Serious? Like, I know Hawthorne are a bit, you know, players down and um, a little bit inconsistent, but <laughs> have you watched um, Essendon move the footy lately? Like, <laughs> they could not move the ball any slower. Um, and they're very predictable. And that plays into a team like Hawthorne's hands. Mm. And even when they did start playing a bit quicker against Richmond, it's just it's a lot of, a lot of mess and a lot of uh, – it's a bit of chaos, but – Richmond was so well set up on the ball, and, and uh, you know Hawthorne are pretty well set up. They they they, they set up really well against um, Port on the weekend. If they do something similar, I, I just reckon they're gonna be too good. And I know, um, yeah, I just can't see. Like, I know Joe Denneher is coming back, but like, is that going to be enough? And you know, Stringer could barely move, let alone play football on on Saturday. And they, again, they're coming back from Darwin, so how's that going to affect them? Um, the short turnaround as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I think Hawthorne is one of the best bets of the weekend and how they're this price is just, baff- it's just absolutely baffling. And I'll tell you what, the, the overs-unders in this game is in trouble as well because neither's team really scores. So 122.5 um, is going to be trouble. But I reckon definitely Hawthorne will be setting themselves up to win this game. Um they know it's a winnable game. Clarko will be a bit more intense. He'll, you know, they've got some good young kids. I just can't see how Essendon can A, score enough and, and B, how they how they move the ball forward with Hawthorne being able to set up so behind the footy with how Essendon takes so long and so slow to move the ball because they want to be methodical. It just plays in the Hawthorne's hands. And, they, and you talk about mixed messaging. Hearing Wushers say that you know they're not that far away from being a great side is 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 selling some buddy, but yeah, it's adding some cream on top. I think it is interesting the coaches that don't quite know where they're at, and for Wusher, I suppose it makes sense because like he's gone at the end of the year anyway, so he probably doesn't care. But yeah. or not, he doesn't care. But like he doesn't need to pretend to the longevity is selling the long term mission. La da da da, but. Yeah. It is very odd that you can just get it so wrong. And then you've got clubs that constantly undersell themselves. So, like, the yeah, the Ken Hentlingers and the Chris Fagans are always saying we need to improve. So it just even optically, it would be so much easier for a coach to say, yep, we did all right today, but we need to improve in these areas. More so than we're not that far off when you get beaten. Makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. But alas. What this will be, though, is, is, a, bad, is a bad game because these teams rank in the bottom four in basically all the KPIs. 
it's it's going to be not a very good game of football. And that leaves the area of Clark to have massive influence, as you said, by setting up and getting his players just to do what he says and then both teams to execute poorly, which has been <laughs> their MO all year. So, yeah, I'm with you, Hawthorne. Hawthorne and the unders is, is great value. Sometimes these games can be good games, though, because like they both know it's their chance to win a game, so they can they go in a bit harder and a bit. And I think Hawthorne, are, you know, I said they've shown a bit last since they got thumped a few weeks ago. They've shown a bit, I think, and mm. I think Clarko's brought in the younger players and said, "Look, this is your chance to earn a spot on AFL list." So, um, yeah, I think like even against West Coast, they showed a bit more than what the Bombers have shown in the last few weeks. Yeah. I know the Bombers were in the game last week against Richmond, but. Really, let's be honest. Richmond should have absolutely flogged them. Friday, seven fifty. Western Bulldogs are two dollar twenty-five. Outsiders against Geelong, a dollar sixty-five favourites. Metricon Stadium is the location. The line here is nine points. Now, the doggies did a number on Melbourne last week, but that was what we expected. Even though we got two bucks plus for it, and Geelong are cruising along as probably the premiership favourites. Can the dogs upset Geelong by making them play a different type of football? They'll try. I think it'll be a pretty good game. I just don't – so against Melbourne, they they, they got the ball from their um, – it, it was back half scoring. So, I mean, they they, they I think they pretty much won the clearances as well without a Ruckman, um, which, was inter- which was interesting. And the way they're set up – there's no way um, Scott will let them set up like they did against Melbourne at the stoppages. Mm. So, uh, against Melbourne, they had pretty much had their winger – sit off the the stoppage by another five or 10 metres. And it allowed them to, if Proust did, you know, smack the ball forward or whatever, um, they did literally just try to, they literally just had a free run at it. And even when uh, Proust stopped doing that, they just, every time they, they won the footy inside, they were just able to release handball back to him. And Scott won't allow that. Scott would have gone to school on what they did last week. And the best thing about Geelong um, and I know I've changed my tactic on this, especially the last four or five weeks. Um, is they're so well organised and so well coached, and it's because they're so they're so experienced. They've got a they've got a team that's played a lot of games together. Um, they're able to teach the young blokes, and they're really bought into it all. And I just can't see how they will allow the doggies to play that free free flowing sort of game. I do feel like the doggies are a very good chance. I've, I've, I'm Definitely very 50-50 on this. I'm going to tip Geelong just because I think they're going, they're travelling better um, and they're, you know, top three team for a reason. But I would not be – this is one of those games where definitely during the – like Friday night before the game, if the odds blow out to 250-260, you might just have a cheeky little 20 on the doggies to cause an upset. Maybe even a lot – like the doggies at the line. Mate, definitely overs with the weather being good at, at Metricon. Uh, 122 points for these two teams is probably too much. Uh, sorry, too little. Um, but, yeah, I'm probably going to tip Geelong uh, just for the sake that they're travelling pretty well. And I think last week showed that any team is good enough if they show up and give that effort and intensity like Adelaide did, but Geelong was still too good. Mm. Yeah. Geelong, I think, are almost a Monty in this one for mine just because of where these two sides try and score from and where their strengths and weaknesses are. And so the past four rounds, yes, the past four rounds only, Baz, the Cats have scored from 33% of their clearance change, number one in the AFL. In the same time period, the Bulldogs are ranked last in clearance change score effects and being scored against. So they, whilst they did win the clearances last week against Melbourne, Outside of that game against Melbourne, they get absolutely smashed in that area, which makes perfect sense when you don't play with a Ruckman. Also, Geelong are just firing up front. So the past four rounds, they've won 42% of their offensive one-on-ones. That's ranked first in the AFL as well, whilst only conceding two marks inside 50 per game on average at the other end of the ground in their defensive 50. On top of that, to find more value if you don't want to take Geelong just at the head-to-head, they have outscored their opposition by 101 points in final quarters this year. So... I could see Doggies taking up to the Cats for three quarters and then kind of getting left by the wayside in the fourth. So Geelong to win and Geelong to win the fourth is about $2, $2.20. So it really gives you a bit of a boost there. Another interesting one in my opinion here, Baz. Saturday, four thirty-five, Fremantle, $2.32 outsiders against the Giants, who are $1.59 favourites at Optus Stadium. The line here, six points. Again, I'm not quite sure why GWS are favourites. They haven't won a game. They haven't played good footy in a long, long time now. 
and Fremantle's been honest, true, and taking it up and, and winning games here and there when they can. So why the significant shift in the odds in the Giants' favour? I don't know. And if, I'm pretty sure if you watched footy and you watched how JBS went about it last week, if they do that stuff again like this week, you thought um, McGovern had a field day. Watch Cox and Ryan have just absolute times of their lives. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, um, Jeremy Cameron's absolutely copped it in the media this week. So is he going to come out and play a game where he wins the game for Joe West? Because they've got massive scoring rows. Like they, they barely scored in the first three quarters and it wasn't until the last 10 minutes of the game they started scoring. And you could argue that West Coast took the foot off the pedal um, but and obviously the rain came and that which played in Joe's hand. But I just can't see why they're this short. I can't see how, um, you know, Fremantle have been playing such good footy and playing so well. And Tabman's having a career best year. Um, their midfield full of young guns have just been absolutely dominating. And they've got a good ruckman in, in Ryan, um, not Ryan, um, the big boys, Sean Darcy. Um, and obviously Lob can pinch hit and play forward. I just and Nat Fife and, and Money just been playing awesome footy. Like they've been rejuvenated with these young kids, and I just can't see that how the how this happens. And I, I'm I'm tipping the Dockers, and I'm probably going to back the Dockers as well. It's the it makes perfect sense. Again, to use the racing analogy, Giants played the Swans and got absolutely tied up by the Swans. Fremantle played the Swans and kept them to their lowest score in like living memory. So clearly, Freo is a better side than the Giants. Oh, and Freo will play a similar, not a similar style to Sydney as well. Where they'll, they'll they take they're a bit more methodical. They're much more careful of the ball. They play a more of a kicking game, mm. and they'll take the game on and, and run and, and gun it as well. And they'll kick it in deep and put them under pressure. And Fremantle will rock up to win this week because there's still a sneaky chance of making finals. Yeah. There's no. There's Collingwood and GWS and that, like they're, they're very, very vulnerable there in that eight. And I think Carlton and, and Freo, are, if, if they should still be believing they're a chance of the top eight. So hmm. I'm tipping Freo and I think GWS are, you know, like I said, unless a, to- a Toby Green or a Jeremy Cameron um, have an absolute field day, I just can't see them kicking a score um, against a team that's been very, very good defensively this year uh, in Freo. And I was thinking Freo have a better 22 on the park. And I, yes, JOS have all the talent in the world, but they're not playing like a, like a team. So uh, it was good to see Jake Riccardi though last week. It, it, you know, a young bloke comes onto the, sta- onto the, you know, the stage and takes his chance and hopefully he can back that up. But yeah, maybe uh, yeah, a few other blokes can jump on the part on the, on the bag and wagon with him. Yeah. So two big stats jump out at me just to confirm the Fremantle tip. In the past four rounds, the Dockers have considered five marks per game inside 50. That's ranked first in the AFL defensively. Meanwhile, the Giants have recorded a scoring accuracy of 45% from general play, which is ranked last in the AFL. So although they are accurate, they are only accurate from set shots, the Giants. So if you force them to kick under pressure in general play, not from a set shot, they will not score. That's exactly what Fremantle will do. And then they'll make them pay on the other end. So Fremantle, $2.30. Anything above two bucks here is just absolutely money for jam. Get on the Dockers train. Now, an interesting game here, Baz, because this is basically, as the media has been saying, an elimination final. But every game between these two sides means so much more, apparently. So Sunday, 335. Carlton are $2.10 outsiders against Collingwood, $1.72 favourites. They're playing at the Gabba. The line here is a slender four and a half. And again, Carlton have been winning games. Collingwood haven't been. I think the odds should be flipped here. I would have had Carlton $1.72 favourites and Collingwood the $2.10 outsiders, considering everything that's gone wrong down at Pyland this year. Yeah, just tip uh just tip Carlton, mate, and uh, let's figure out this game because it's not much to talk about. Carlton win. Collingwood aren't travelling very well. We lose side bottom is probably one of our better ball users. Uh, we might get Quainer back this week. Don't know what's going on with Stephenson. Um, yeah, we just keep having deficiencies going forward. And it, it's, I think, in a way, Cox did straighten this up a bit, but he's just got to make sure he brings the ball to ground. And when he did, our small forwards got the work, which was good, but we're still carrying too many passengers. I wonder whether all the injuries and, you know, blokes knowing they're not really going to get dropped, like I don't know, Thomas, 
uh, Phillips, Varco. I, they, I don't know how they – obviously our depth is being stretched, but the fact they're still on the team and how Murphy, Wilson, um, you know, Callum Brown and stuff like that can't get it back into this town. I reckon Callum Brown was pretty unfairly dumped this week, by the way. But, um, yeah, it's interesting to see what happens, especially now that side bottom is probably the only bloke apart from probably Noble – Pendlebury and Quainer are now to, and probably Darcy Moore that can actually kick the footy. So, um, yeah, it's interesting for us going forward the rest of the year. And I, I think Carlton have been playing better footy, though. We get up and about for this. They, they, they probably want this big game. They're going to be yeah pretty hard to beat, I reckon. And I think the odds are again wrong and Carlton should be knocking us off and maybe sneaking into that eight. Because, again, you know, we talk about Carlton's... Uh, improvement this year and how they're getting better and how they're building as a club and as a team and moving forward. Well, this is a game that they should be winning because we're not up to it. We've got, to, we've got lots of excuses, but I don't want to use them because we're still, it's what you, it's what you got. So, um, you know, we're not good enough at the moment and we probably haven't been all year. So well, we haven't been all year. It's that to say that. So yeah, Carlton should be knocking us off. This will be a pretty low scoring game as well. I think, some really horrendous goal-kicking stats and scoring stats and efficiency stats in that forward half. So the Blues have lost possession from 45% of their kicks inside 50 this year. That's second last in the league. Meanwhile, the Pies, uh, whilst winning the inside 50 count by 10 per game, which is second in the comp, have only a third last for contending those into goals. So there won't be very many goals here. The, the bit I'm concerned about, though, is that everything else that Collingwood is good at is the, the Blues are bad at. So... Their kicking efficiency in round 12 was uh, 38%, the Blues, which is the worst in any game since 2010. Whereas yeah, the, the Pies rank in, rank second in the comp for disposal differential, contested possession differential, uncontested possession differential, and um, disposal accuracy or efficiency. And so I just, I'm always concerned to tip against Collingwood because I know that they should be winning games against sides like Carlton, but just not recently. Yeah, I mean, you said that the Carlton turnover over a lot inside 50. That's how we scored last week against North. So, I mean, our main score source is from turnover, especially back half. So, um, you know, that could be in our favour. But we did change it. I think we changed a bit our methodology in that second half against North. We just generally just went forward with the ball instead of trying it. And nothing frustrates me more. And I, even as a coach, like, if I saw one-on-ones up the ground and our – and my player decided to handball backwards instead of kick it to an advantage to the forward, I would absolutely lose my marbles. And I, I, I hope that Buckley is as well. I know it's probably something they're being coached to do, um, but I think you just got to back your forwards in because it just takes everything. Like, as soon as you start backing your forwards in, like we did in that second half, guess what? They started bringing the ball to ground. We started creating opportunities. So, um, but yeah, I just think, our, our back line still leaks and gives up stupid, silly goals. And I think uh, Carlton's four line is much more dangerous than what North was. So, And we saw against Melbourne, you know, they got a pretty dangerous sort of four line as well and how easy it was for them to score. So that's my biggest concern is that Carlton might actually score more and we can't we, – we struggle. Like we've scored over 60 points like three or four times this year. Like it's been a big problem for us. So, yeah, I just can't see us turning it around that quickly, unfortunately. And, uh, yeah, Carlton should be winning. And at those odds, they're good value. Yeah. See, I don't agree here. Because you said you need a score to win games. Well, you don't against Carlton. So their last three games, 60, 40, 50. So they're all going to be low-scoring games. Low-scoring games against Collingwood leads into Collingwood's favour. And so I'm backing up Collingwood here. The other stat to put the nail in, in the Blues' coffin here is in the past four rounds, the Blues have recorded 21 points per game from intercept possessions, which is last in the league. So even if you do want to handball and dig about with the ball and not take the one-on-ones to your forwards, the Blues won't punish you. And we know that there's nothing more the Blues love to do than keep teams in the game. If Collingwood's in the game late, Collingwood win. So I'm sticking with Collingwood to maintain their position in the eight and take down the Blues and basically end their finals campaign, which will be lovely, in your opinion, once you finally admit to actually tipping Collingwood for this game. Now, we get into our last two games, and these are bona fide tip and forgets. They will not be great games of football. Saturday, 1.45, Port Adelaide are $1.17 favourites against Sydney. Full and only outsiders are playing at the Adelaide Oval. The over-under here is five goals. What will be the margin that Port win by Baz? Worry about that. Uh, they'll win. Um, Senior will, will probably play. They'll be set. That, that, again, 
they got a great coach, Sydney, and they will set up in a way that will make things difficult for Port. A bit like um, they did against Richmond. I think they'll take the game on a bit more, though, than what they did against Richmond. But, I mean, it'll also depend on, you know, Richmond did set up very similarly in that game against Sydney as well. But, you know, we obviously only heard one side of the story. Um, yeah, Port win. Sydney will be better than they were last week, but Sydney's biggest problem at the moment is scoring. So... It's, it's, it's funny how um, a few teams this year have had trouble scoring. I know shortened quarters, all that sort of stuff, but I think the the way – I think the game sort of changed a little bit this year and a few teams with COVID and the hubs and stuff and the way that the training protocols are, they can't really train together and fix their issues. So um, if whatever you did in the preseason isn't working because the game's moved on, I think they're pretty stuck with it. And I think that's, that's you know, there's a few teams, Collingwood's one, it's probably Sydney's and other, you know, other teams as well where you can't really adapt and train together as one big group. So it's harder for you to change the your methodology or the way you go about playing the game uh, when you're training in groups of eight or 10. So anyway, it's uh Port Adelaide should be winning. The last game of the round it comes with a big warning because this could be a football's broken moment again, Baz. The media's favourite thing to talk about. Sunday, 6-10, we finish with Gold Coast, $1.55 favourites against North Melbourne, $2.41 outsiders. Surely, surely at Metricon, the Suns knock off the ruse. I want to see what the teams look like here. Um, but I, I, I've almost fallen into the, the media narrative here a bit. Oh, and I'm, I'm a bit with them that Gold Coast will be tired and a bit cooked. They've had the longer break now, though. They've had their cooked game. They, were, they, they couldn't get out of their own shadow last weekend. Um, I know they've had a lot of games in, in you know, short turnaround and like we expected that last week. We knew they weren't going to be up and about. We tipped Carlton and we, you know, we thought it was going to be a lot closer. We thought you know, they might turn up for a half or so, but they didn't. Um, yeah, travelling back. I know they've got they had the nine they have a nine day break I think um, or at least eight day break before they play North. Um, North have been horrible, don't get me wrong, but and it would have to, it would take something catastrophic for Gold Coast to win. And we again we talk about development of teams and where they're at, and Gold Coast should be winning this game for their development and need to to show that they've progressed from last year. I think, uh, but I still would not be putting any money on this game whatsoever. I wouldn't be putting Gold Coast in your multis because uh, this is just fraught with danger. Uh, yeah, we saw last week that North Melbourne might turn the footy over. Gold Coast are very, very good defensively. They've got a really good defence. And we saw that last week against Carlton. Carlton dominated and had the ball so much inside their forward 50 that they just got repelled over and over again. So Gold Coast had nothing up forward. North Melbourne's midfield is no good. They're, the only good thing about their midfield is their ruck. Um, yeah, you'd assume Stuart Jew would, would would pump him up for this and get him going, but I just have a have a bit of a concern about um, yeah how tired they are as a young team, and I wouldn't be surprised if a few of their younger blokes like Rankin and that are having a week or two off here as well. So it'd be interesting to see the teams, but I'm definitely going to tip Gold Coast, but I could see uh, how um, North could get up here because I think maybe uh, Gold Coast are a bit cooked for this year. Yeah, I just you just watch North and they get themselves in a position where they look like they're about to challenge in a game and then they fade out like they did against you guys last week. So I just don't see how they win a game North. And as much as, yes, the, the Suns were cooked last week, I think especially this season we can accept scheduled losses. So I think in upon reflection, if we look back at all the things that was going against the Suns last week, the excessive travel, the uh, – the plethora of games in a short time frame and then playing off a smaller break than their their opponents. We probably should have seen that and gone, you know what, let's just leave them alone and tip Carlton. So probably one, we made a mistake there. I definitely made a mistake there by, by tipping into the Suns. So they're recovered now. They're back on their home soil and they're going to bet back to a winning way and finish their season on a high is my prediction. But um, yeah, each their own, I suppose. Monday. everyone's favourite segment, Money Making Time, our feature bets for round 14. And Baz, lead us off out of the gates with your best bet for the weekend. Um, nice and early, 4.40 on a Thursday. Let's get this rolling. Hawthorne at 2.25. Thank you for coming. 
Uh, yes, I think we'll feature that one later, later for mine. My best bet will be a bit later on in the week, Fremantle at $2.32. Where's your value coming from this weekend, Baz? Um, well, my value would be Hawthorne into Freo. So you're going to get it around $5, 6 for that. I reckon I'll f- probably close to, yeah, was it two twenty-five into two thirty? So you're looking around four sixty-five dollars That is correct. That was going to be my roughie, but you've turned it into a value bet. So that's how audacious you are. Uh, Hawthorne, two twenty-five into Fremantle, $2.32 gives you $5.73 for the mathematics nerds at home. Uh, my value bet was a bit shorter than that. So St. Kilda to win the first quarter against a Melbourne side that always loses the first quarter when they lose games this year in 2020. St. Kilda to win head-to-head and Dan Butler to kick a goal is paying $3.03. And uh, what's your roughie then, Baz, if $5 isn't good enough for you? Well, my roughie is at 570 if you include the power play. And you can, yeah, there's a fair bit going on here. So listen up. Same game, multi, a bit like you. Jack Viney, 20 plus. Hunter Clark, 15 plus. Dan Butler, Max King, anytime goal scorers. And St Kilda head to head gets you $5.70 with a boost. So, um, you know, if the money comes to St Kilda, you know, you could probably look at the line, even the line's only, uh, what is it? It's only three and a half points. So if the St Kilda, you can probably go three and a half points a line and add another, you know, 20 cent or 20% to that uh, multi. So you get you over the six bucks. Lovely stuff there. I'm a bit concerned about you tipping into Jack Viney though. Trusting any Melbourne players in a bet is a recipe for an annoyed uh, viewing experience. <laughs> well, last week, Clayton Oliver let us down and then Lockie Neal let us down, but every other league got up. So the two blokes that have been racking up posies all year, the two blokes that let us down and, yeah, Adams had 30, McRae had 30 and I think Amon got us over the line and so did, uh, I can't remember who the other player was in our tip, but, yeah, it's always been, it's always one of those ones with the same game multis, isn't it? They're good fun though, I don't mind them, cheeky little bit. They are very good fun indeed, as has this been and as is every other episode. So if we've missed out anything, you have a hot tag you want to give us or uh, just some feedback, hit us up on Twitter. It's at W-A-T-O-S pod, what the odds pod. And if our tips made you some cash or just made you laugh, then uh, head us down to your favourite podcast player and give us a nice little five-star rating and a review. It helps us out on those charts. Thanks again, Baz, and uh, stay safe and keep watching the footy from that couch. 